Ah, my friends, welcome back to another episode of the New Wave Podcast. Daniel DiPiazza checking in with you here. And you know, on Friday, we have our Friday wrap-up episode. I love to just go over all the interesting things that are happening in the news headlines and things that are happening in the world. And of course, you know, everything that I see is from my perspective and things I think are personally cool. But obviously, I want to hear what you think is interesting too. So make sure that you continue to email me with things that are, are fascinating to you. I'm going to be getting a lot of good questions in the inbox. I'm getting a lot of questions and some good uh, suggestions for articles in my DM. So make sure you keep sending those. And of course, make sure you subscribe to this podcast uh, on whatever platform you prefer to listen to. We're on Spotify now. We're on iTunes. We're on uh, Stitcher. We're on Audible even. So check it out. But let's get into today's headlines. Okay, so the first one I saw that really uh, kind of scared me a little bit. Uh, this is the headline. Apple and Facebook reportedly provided personal user data to hackers posing as law enforcement. Now, this is coming out of 9to5Mac and I believe a few other sites as well, including uh, Bloomberg, uh, which said, quote, Apple and Meta gave user data to hackers who used forged legal requests. And this is the uh, this is kind of the, the overview of it. Uh, according to Bloomberg, Apple, which is, uh, you know, or I'm sorry, Apple and Meta, which is Facebook, uh, provided customer data to hackers who masqueraded as law enforcement officials. According to three people with knowledge of the matter, Apple and Meta provided basic user subscriber details such as customer's address, phone number, IP address, and other information in mid-2021 in response to forged, quote, emergency data requests. Normally, such requests are only provided with a search warrant or subpoena signed by a judge, according to people. However, the emergency requests don't require a court order. Uh, it says here that Snap Inc. required uh, or received a forged legal request from the same hackers, but it isn't known whether the company re- uh, provided data in response. It's also not clear how many times the company has provided data prompted by forged legal requests. Man, this is pretty crazy. So what it looks like here is that hackers were able to essentially impersonate police officers or impersonate emergency officials uh, asking for I don't know if it was a large amount of user data or specific users, but apparently Apple and Facebook, and I'm sure many other big tech companies are pretty easy to get data from if you understand the right channels to go through. And it looks like these hackers are able to impersonate uh, the authorities by submitting a request in a similar format. According to 9to5Mac, uh, the publication explains that normally such requests are only provided with a search warrant or subpoena. Um, And let's see... It says, quote here, the guidelines referenced by Apple say that a supervisor from the government or law enforcement agent who submitted the request, quote, must be contacted and asked to confirm that Apple, that the emergency, confirm to Apple that the emergency request was legitimate. Um, According to the publication, quote, hackers affirmed with a cybercrime group, group known as, quote, the recursion team are believed to be behind some of the forged legal requests. Uh, end of quote. Some of the hackers could be minors located in the UK or the US, according to cybersecurity researchers. In addition, one of them could be the mastermind behind the cybercrime group that hacked Microsoft, Samsung, and NVIDIA. Ooh. So uh, this is really interesting here. And it, it's it's crazy to see, too, how uh, these big companies are trying to now cover up or, or essentially massage the press. It says here, in 9to5Mac, Allison Nixon, chief research officer at the cyber firm uh, 2221B, comes in defense of Apple and Facebook's teams uh, that handle law enforcement. Quote, in every instance where these companies messed up, at the core of it, there was a person trying to do the right thing. 
I can't tell you how many times trust and safety teams have quietly saved lives because employees have the legal flexibility to rapidly respond to a tragic situation unfolding for a user. That to me doesn't ring true. That to me sounds like a response that you would get from a representative in a show like the Black Mirror. And, you know, I, I think it's interesting how people who represent these big firms or those who have similar interests are, they would, they would, they would make the assumption that Apple or Facebook or whoever is working with the government agency is doing so in the best interest of uh, the people that it's supposed to be serving, the greater good. I think that a lot of this, t- this stuff is just part of the part of the the ability to operate within our country. You you have to be able to give data over to the government because they're going to be looking for uh, looking for that information, and you. You don't have to, you don't, I don't think they have a, I don't think there's a clear communication of why the information is given, I guess is what I'm saying. I don't think that they uh, have a conversation about it and then Apple says, oh, well, sure, that sounds like a good reason. Sure, we'd be happy to give it to you. I think it's, they ask, government says jump and Facebook says how high. And I, and same thing with Apple. And so I think that to have this, uh, this assumption that when Apple and Facebook are collaborating with the government is to save someone's life, as this quote says, you know, oh, I can't tell you how many people have uh, been, their lives have been saved because of the cooperation and the flexibility that's allowed in these situations. I, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not sure if that really rings true for me. Uh, but I do think it's interesting how they're, in this situation, uh, this wasn't even really sharing with the government. These were just hackers that were pretending to be the government. And um, yeah, I mean, I think about my data too, and it, it's almost... It, it, it almost makes you feel uh, removed from it to a certain extent because I know that my data is out there. Even recently, you know, well, not recently, but within the past five years, I remember I received a letter from one of the credit bureaus. I think it was Equifax. And then there's three credit bureaus in the U.S., three major credit bureaus. There's Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. And I got a letter from Equifax saying that there had been a security breach and uh, that my data had been compromised. And as a result of a class action lawsuit, I was receiving a check. And I got that check in the mail and it was, uh, it was about $35. And I, I laughed because I didn't even know that my data had been breached and the settlement already was made after my knowledge, you know? And it, it's interesting too with these, with these credit bureaus because I never asked to be their customer. Obviously, by signing up for a credit card or getting a loan or doing something like that, you know, you involve yourself with these entities. But I never asked to be their customer. I was made a customer by being passed through a system that they have a large part in controlling. And the credit system in America is a part of the way that we get, we, we you know, we get loans and we make uh, transactions and people have some sort of, I guess, trust within banking and trust within financial systems, although there are a lot of flaws with it uh, and it can be very, very inaccurate. But either way, they appropriated me as a customer, essentially. They, they, they took me as a customer and then they lost my data and then they gave me $35 as if that would be the value of potentially having my identity stolen. And then I put the check in the drawer. I went to go cash it later. And when I went to go cash it, I saw it already had expired because there was a 90-day expiration limit on it. So I didn't even get my money, which I think they purposely designed uh, that on purpose to, to, to create. So good for them. But it just goes to show you your data is not really safe. I, that, was, that was something I had no control over. You know, I didn't, I wasn't careless with my Equifax data. They got hacked. And same thing with Facebook and Apple. How many of us have a Facebook account? How many of us have an Apple account? A lot of us, many of us, most of us. 
uh, one of those at least, and the fact that they can get hacked uh, or they can they can get duped essentially because they say this was, this was a hack, but it wasn't really even a hack. It was a dupe. It was it was hackers who were impersonating law enforcement, but they didn't break into Facebook system. They just simply asked for the information and somebody made the wrong choice in, in multiple locations. It just goes to show you how at the end of the day, the data is not really safe. And I don't know if it is, I don't know if this example is a case for Web3, but I do know that there is a certain element of decentralization, which in its best context could allow us to be more secure because there wouldn't be everyone's information in these large repositories of data. And you might say, well, what's the what's the big deal? Who cares? My information's out there anyway. Well, uh, that might be true. You know, maybe you don't have anything uh, to hide. A lot of people say, oh, I don't have anything to hide. What's it matter? But there is a real cost to having uh, other people have access to your social security number, be able to open up bank accounts in your name, be able to even commit crimes in your name and then get away with it. I mean, this happens more frequently than you would know. And it seems strange until it happens to you and then it gets real. And um, so data security is important, not not to mention the fact that obviously it's like when data is leaked, there's also, well, in, hacker, in a hacker's case, it would be probably for some criminal activity, but just sharing your data so often with these big companies leads to getting all these different ads and all these different solicitations. And it's just another way of being monetized as well. So that's another argument for decentralization, but that's a whole different conversation. I just think that this hacker thing was uh, at least interesting enough to warrant. Uh, and guess what? There's nothing, there's not a damn thing you can do about it. And you're probably affected by it. So at least now you know. On to the next one. Okay, so switching gears here to health, to humanity. Did you know that scientists finally finished decoding the entire human genome? This is a major breakthrough. We finally got it done, guys. Scientists say according to CBS News, that they have finally assembled the full genetic blueprint for human life, adding the missing pieces to a puzzle nearly completed two decades ago. And remember back in 2003, we originally completed the Human Genome Project. Uh, and that got, I think, I, I'll have to read the article again, but that pretty much sequenced everything except for maybe, I don't know, like 5% of our base pairs. And we finished the last 5%. According to CBS News, an international team described the first ever sequencing of a human, uh, complete human genome, a set of instructions to build and sustain a human being. And research published Thursday in the journal uh, Science, which is a huge journal. The previous effort celebrated across the world was incomplete because DNA sequencing technologies of the day weren't able to read certain parts of it. Even after updates, it was missing about 8% of the genome. Okay, that's so 8%. Some of the genes that make us uniquely human were actually in the in the in this quote dark matter of the genome, and they were totally missed, says Evan Etchler, a University of Washington researcher who participated in the current effort and the original Human Genome Project. It took twenty plus years, but we finally got it done. Uh, so this is really really cool. I think that this is just getting us closer to uh, realizing our full human potential. I consider myself a humanist. I consider myself someone who truly believes in the potential for humans to do and be great. And I think that that is not at odds with technology. I think that is when if within with conjun in conjunction with technology, but it also means that we have to have reverence for nature. It also means that we have to have respect for our bodies and our health. You know, it has to work, it has to be a, a um, symbiotic relationship with our environment and with technology. It can't be one or the other. And I think unlocking our human genome and really understanding that's gonna lead to a potentially medical um, 
cures. It could lead to cloning. It could lead to a better understanding of uh, just our own psychology or origin. There's a lot of things that unlocking the genome completely can do for us. So I'm, I look forward to seeing on the positive upswing how humanity um, benefits from our scientific discoveries. I love science. And I think there's been, man, I don't know why there's been such a dichotomy between science and religion and spirituality. I, I guess I, I guess I do understand. I totally get it. But at the same time, I think that they can be, they can coexist beautifully well and they have their own unique strengths, you know, and, but I, but I really truly love science and I hope that uh, you take the time to actually study what's going on here. I, I um, not only am interested in it from a, like just a pop culture perspective, but also I will sometimes read research papers. I will read books by different scientists or physicists that I find interesting. I'll try to stretch my brain. I'll try to understand things that maybe I haven't learned about since school. And I try to just keep my brain working on new concepts, fresh things. And I think it's important. It doesn't mean you have to become a master of any of this stuff. It just means that it keeps your your mind supple and available to absorb new information that keeps you young. That's what I always thought. Okay. So let's move on to the next one. All right. What do we have here? Oh, now this is, this is an interesting one. So I thought this was cool because it just shows that there are, um, some changing trends here. It says Samsung ex- uh, expands customer first care experience with new self-repair program. So this is actually out of the Samsung newsroom. But what I think is interesting is that for the past, oh, I don't know, almost two decades since we've had smartphones, the common understanding is that you can't, you can't basically control your own phone experience. You can't replace the battery even. It doesn't even have a removable battery. It has no removable parts. The, the, the major brands didn't offer any ways of, um, of doing DIY. And this goes in line with how technology is evolving uh, just across different industries. So you have, for instance, uh, there was a, a problem with John Deere where the farmers were getting upset because the new tractors and different farm tools being released were created just to be serviced by John Deere factory technicians and, fa- and, and farmers couldn't uh, service new products. Same thing with, for instance, uh, Tesla. I have a Tesla and you can't work on the engine yourself. You can't actually work on the car because it's it's basically just a big cell phone that drives. And so you have to take it to a Tesla shop or they have to come out to your house. And that's fine for what it's worth, but it's also, it takes away a certain amount of autonomy with the technology. It takes away a certain amount of ownership over the technology too, because if you can't fix it, do you really own it? You know, you're really kind of always renting it in a way because you need that provider to be able to to do maintenance on it. Otherwise, you can't you can't service it. Well, Samsung in a in delivering a customer first care experience nationwide uh, is basically looking to change the way that they uh, approach um, DIY in home stuff for for. Uh, their customers. And so they said their most popular models, the Galaxy S20 and S21 family of products and the Galaxy Tab S7 Plus uh, are going to basically um, release, a, they're going to release a line of parts where device owners will be able to take product repair into their own hands. And that will start this summer. Samsung customers will get access to genuine device parts, repair tools, and intuitive visual step-by-step repair guides. Samsung is collaborating with iFixit the leading online repair community on this program. More information will be shared uh, once self-repair is available. So that's pretty interesting. And I think it's cool because, 
you know, how many, how many times have you cracked a screen and you got to go to some store to fix it or you can't fix it? It says to start, Galaxy device owners will be able to replace the, um, device assemblies, back glass, and changing ports and return used parts to Samsung for responsible recycling. In the future, Samsung plans to expand self-repair to more devices and repairs from our extensive product portfolio. That's pretty cool. I mean, Apple would never do that. And I think there is a certain element of wanting to keep the the design aesthetic exactly perfect the way that is intended by the factory. And there's a certain element of wanting to keep as much profit in-house as possible. Because even with Apple, if you have a problem with Apple, you have to take it to the Apple Genius Bar. Now, a couple things you can do when you get there, you can pay for them to fix it because they're not going to do it for free. Or you can, when you buy a new product, pay for um, for Apple Care. But that's how they're going to get you to subscribe to their care program. If you could fix it yourself after market, that'd be a lot cheaper for you. And I've tried actually. I have a uh, man. I have this this really nice iMac from man. It must be 2000 or 2012 model, and so it's pretty old, but. It's big, it has a big screen, it has a great speaker, and there's nothing wrong with it. But there is, I think the hard drive, I think the fan on the hard drive is broken. And, uh, or it could be the screen, because the screen won't turn on as well. And it also sounds like there's something inside that that is like loose. But I think that the computer itself, the actual hard drive is intact. And so I wanted to get the screen replaced for it, or I wanted to at least diagnose what was wrong with it. And it's pretty old at this point, keeping in mind that it's now 2022. It's at least 10 years old, probably more. And I, I just wanted to be able to have my computer, though. It has all my stuff on it. Uh, I really like using it. I, has, I have a wireless keyboard for it. I wanted to use it. I took it into the Mac store. They said, this is too old. We can't fix it. I said, well, what do you mean? I mean, you're, you're Apple. Like, if, if you don't have the parts, who does? You know, can't you at least, if you can't fix it in store, send it out somewhere? I really want to use it. I just didn't want to buy a new one. I wanted to kind of adopt the mentality of, you know, using what I have. And, and I think that our our generation can sometimes be wasteful. I think the millennial generation especially is so used to disposable um, instant gratification that we are often wasteful with the things that we have. I mean, I even think of my TV, for instance. I have a, a 2014 TV, which is now finally starting to look old in comparison to what I see out in other, like in the display cases in other people's houses. Uh, but it, it was you know, back 2014, it was a really nice TV. It's like 50, 50 inches, 55 inches, you know, HD, probably only 720p now, but just, it was really nice. And uh, a couple of years ago, it, it, it broke and it wouldn't work anymore. And I was like, man, you know, like, what am I going to throw this whole TV out? I'm going to put it in the, in the, in the trash can. I know it's going to go to a landfill. I know there's like toxic shit in there. It's not, you know, it's not biodegradable. It's, it's, and I'm not like a huge, look, I care about the earth for sure, but I'm not even always thinking about renewable sources all the time. I'm not. But even that was, I felt like too egregious. It's like all these computer parts are going to throw it out. So, and all this metal. So I thought I'll just keep it. So I called a TV repair person. They opened up the TV and they realized, oh, the motherboard had just come a little bit loose. They resoldered it. It took them 20 minutes. It cost me, I think, $80, which I was going to buy a whole new TV. They came out there, they fixed it. Maybe it cost 120 bucks, but they fixed it. And I got to have my TV back. It was cheaper than going to the store. You know, and, and so I, I think about that with my computer too, and I want to get it fixed. Apple couldn't fix it. I took it to an aftermarket place. Apple still, or I took it to an aftermarket place. That place still couldn't fix it. The parts were too old. And it frustrated me because I felt like I didn't have control over my own device. I'm like, man, I want to be able to fix this. Now, I don't have the technical knowledge of being able to take off the um, the the chassis of the computer and the, the, the screen and, and look at it. I don't have all that know-how. And I don't have, I don't actually have the desire to, um, become an engineer or or a mechanic or you know what but I do want to be able to take it to someone who can actually do it 
or or be able to get the parts if I want to myself, but I don't want to, I want to have the choice, you know? And so I feel like with a lot of, a lot of these devices nowadays, you don't have the choice. You have to, you have to use whatever provider sold you the product to repair it. And I think it's cool that Samsung is at least going to allow users some flexibility. I know Apple definitely won't. Uh, and I, I hope that in the future, as part of expanding consumer choice, that users do have the option of customizing their products a bit more, especially when it comes to repair. I don't want all this uh, all, all this electronic waste. I don't want all this landfill trash. And again, I'm not the one out there even protesting for um, for the environment. Maybe I should be, but I do care about it. And, uh, and I just see like, especially electronic waste is just too much, man. So I think it's good on Samsung's part. Okay, so this is the last bit of a little bit of crypto news, which I think is pretty cool. Did you know that Bitcoin is uh, now officially 19 million strong. We minted our 19 millionth Bitcoin today. Uh, well, recently, within the past day. And that's pretty cool because there are only 21 million Bitcoin in the world. And as the Bitcoin supply, the free Bitcoin supply or the, the new Bitcoin supply decreases, the value increases because just like any currency, it's related to supply and demand. And uh, we've been waiting for this this day for a while, or we've been, we've been, I guess, watching the days go by as Bitcoin continues to increase in value, although it's quite volatile. And right now it's about 45,000. And last year it went to a high of almost 70 and people are freaking out. But I think we can clearly see that this is an asset class that's here to stay. It's interesting now because it, it seems that crypto itself is often coupled to the stock market, but then you see opposites like right now, where right now Bitcoin is soaring and the Fed Reserve is pretty, uh, pretty bearish, I guess you could say. It's not looking good. So it's, it's just interesting to see. Sometimes they're coupled, sometimes they're decoupled. But, you know, we're near our full supply with Bitcoin of 19 million and a full supply is 21 million. And once that last Bitcoin is mined, no new Bitcoin will be mined, which will be, you know, which will continue to increase the value hypothetically, although we've seen it play out in real life. And so it's interesting to be part of a generation that is watching this unfold. Uh, I still highly recommend that you invest in crypto once you do your research you know and the staples are bitcoin ethereum and you know a few others and obviously it's very volatile i think that if you want to play it safer go stocks you know stocks are still a great great pick especially when you look at the fact that a lot of these technology companies are also heavily invested in crypto you're still getting a lot of passive exposure there like for instance if you look at facebook facebook is now a web3 company meta Meta is positioning itself to you know, at least, if not take over, at least start the metaverse. And that's going to be, at some point, have a relationship to crypto. It already is part of that whole Web3 movement. And these companies are investing all of their money into those movements. Same thing with, for instance, Square, uh, which is a huge payment company turning into Block, which is now a Web3 payments company. And, and Jack Dorsey heading that up. Jack Dorsey is a huge Bitcoin maximalist, or at least a Bitcoin apologist. And so these companies are taking uh, Web3 and crypto seriously. So you probably should too. And if you don't want to invest directly in crypto, or if you want to also invest in things that are going to be a little bit more stable, yet still get exposure to crypto, I highly recommend investing in some tech companies. So yeah, look into that stuff. Do your own research. Obviously, I'm not a financial expert. I'll put that on all the podcasts, but I think it's worth your time. Um, and you know what's interesting too, and I'll, I'll say this as the last, as the last little, uh, as the last little tidbit for today. The, the stock market continues to do better than cash. 
And oftentimes, I think we we cling to uh, the feeling that we that we want to just have as much cash as we can in the bank. And I was thinking about this today because, and when it comes to tech investments, I mean, you can invest in the individual companies, or you can uh, or you can invest in something like an ETF, which is a um, exchange traded fund, which basically is just like a basket of uh, of stocks. And it's cool because you can invest in, for instance, a a ETF. Uh, that that uh, that essentially uh, has maybe five to twenty companies, usually the biggest companies, and they're <laughs> they're going to do pretty well. You know, as much as we shit talk sometimes these uh, conglomerates, and they do, they are evil. Sometimes they are quite evil. The upside of investing in them is that at least you can take the money that you're going to make from investing in them and do your good with it. You know, do I think that? Um, I think that Facebook and Google and some of these tech companies and Apple are always on the up and up and always on my side. No, but if my interests are aligned with their interests, then I think that if I can take what I'm doing and create positivity in my world for it, in my direct community, it's worth the investment. And I think that there's a level of ethical investment too that comes into it of like, I don't invest in things I think are are killing people. So it's like if you have, for instance, like defense contract companies, or you have um, like Boeing, or you have Raytheon who are making missiles and defense systems. That I think is like too far over the line. For me, that's like, whoa, too painful. Facebook, okay, I guess I'll invest in it. it. There are things I find valuable about it. I do like Instagram. It's not all bad. I feel like with things that are um, that are like creating weapons or like even oil companies, ExxonMobil, British Petroleum, that feels like it's hurting the world more than helping. So I don't invest in those. But overall, I think that I try to weigh the investments based on things I think are uh, good for me, right for me. And if I can get some exposure to Web3, why not? Anyway, that's my rant for the day. That's your Friday update. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. And if you haven't subscribed to the new Wave podcast, make sure you do that on all platforms. Much love, guys. The water is warm. The tide is rising. Let's jump on in and surf this new wave. Daniel out.